0: The retooling Blackhawks have some young stars in the mix. However, cap relief is nowhere in sight. Colorado has cap space, a respectable present-day roster, and a super bright future. Columbus has the work ethic to be successful, but prospects and goaltending determine how far they can go. How do their prospect pools stack up today? Episode 214 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we get any further, um, we're going to start on a very sad note. Um, we're, as you know, we're going through um, every team's prospects. And as it turns out, Edmonton was going to be on next week's list. And I was going through their prospects and Colby Cave uh popped up and um he was a former Bruin I believe he was claimed off waivers by the Oilers when he got put on there and he spent most of this year with the Baker Bakersfield Condors also scored a very skilled goal against the Pittsburgh Penguins during the regular season and word got out um I think it was Monday or Tuesday that Uh, He had suffered a brain bleed, went to hospital, was put in a medically induced coma and unfortunately a few days later passed away uh, at the age of 25. Um, Just looking at uh, his wife's uh, Instagram posts, um, Emily looked or sounded very, very heartbroken and a lot of people in the hockey community are, um, sounded like A great human being, a great person to be around, a born leader, and a guy with a work ethic that would take him very far no matter what he did, and unfortunately, um, he's no longer with us. So, rest in peace, Colby, and our thoughts go to Emily, his wife, his entire family, and everyone who knew him. Yeah,
1: he was, um, he also was, he played a lot, like over 200 games uh, for the Providence Bruins, Uh, He played a couple of games uh, for the Boston Bruins and and then he played a couple of games for the Swift Current Broncos before he got into the AHL too. Um, And that's like mostly, if you guys don't know, that's where Jake DeBrusque went uh, or that's the team that Jake DeBrusque played at at the same time. Mm -hmm. He also played with him in Providence as well. Um, Colby
0: Cave, I believe, was the captain of the Broncos as well at one
1: point. Yeah, uh, for two years, according to his Elite Prospects page here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was a time when, like, he was killing it in Providence. And I I was looking forward to seeing him on in Boston. And I remember he had, like, his first goal. And that was, like, a big moment, too. Um, so that was pretty cool to see. Um, and, yeah, it's, um, it's just unfortunate and very sad. Yeah. Um, especially because he was 25 years old. And that's the thing with like hockey players and just, I mean, athletes in general, um, is we usually like think of guys in their 30s and 40s as being old, but we only mean that just in terms of like, like from an athlete perspective. Yeah, Um, from hockey years. Yeah, and what's sad is it's like, we kind of like forget that, you know, that you're um, there's so much more to life after you're 30. It's not like you're that old. If you're 30, just a normal life. So he was only 25, still pretty young for hockey years, and that's very young for human years as well. So um, yeah, it's very saddening to hear that, especially when I saw that, like he. Um, it seemed like there was reports that he was doing fine after surgery. And then yeah. the next day I like wake up to the news that he had died uh, based off the surgery. And so I was like thinking like, wait, I thought the surgery went well. Um, so um, yeah, all our thoughts and prayers to everyone who knew them that I knew him personally, uh, that's gotta be uh, very tough, especially nowadays when we're all, you know, we're all reaching this global pandemic, but
0: yeah Um, and it it also affects you know their ability you know to say their final goodbyes as well which i'm sure makes it even tougher for them
1: so um yeah it's uh definitely i've heard all these stories that he was like very um outgoing and very talkative to everyone like good friends with pretty much every single providence bruins guy in the last five years or any player who's played in the providence bruins system a lot like i saw jake Debrust as I just mentioned, uh, Charlie McAvoy said something T- to Krug, um, you know, Zen- Daniel Chara. Um, although like that was when he was up on the Boston Bruins. It's just, yeah, it's very sad. Um, Sam Gagne when they were in Edmonton. Um, so yeah, uh, not just the Bruins, uh, but, uh, yeah, the Oilers as well. So on that note, <laughs> um, it's hard to, uh, transition uh purely out of that but i'm gonna try to uh yeah we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna continue our prospect pool stuff here um so the next team on our list is the chicago blackhawks um just looking at their list of prospects they don't actually have that bad of a list of players here it used to be pretty bad but it's gotten a lot better over the years um and it's you know uh, so the first guy we're going to talk about is uh, Kirby Dack, um, who was the third overall pick last year um, in the 2019 pick uh, draft. Um, there was kind of some controversy there because um, we all thought that they would pick either Bowen Byram or Alex Turcott. But uh, Kirby Dach actually has uh, he played. His first uh, season for the Chicago Blackhawks, he played 64 games. Yes, I am aware that we're breaking our uh, our rule again, but uh, this time it's kind of he's still a prospect in my mind um, because he uh, he played he played for Chicago. Um, he only had 14 minutes of ice time on average in the 64 games. He had 23 points um, in 64 games. Um, and, you know, he, it didn't even look like he was a rookie who was playing. Um, you know, he looks like he's kind of just, uh, you know, he's uh, he's like a formidable player there. Um, you know, he looks like an NHLer, which is good to see, especially for someone like an 18-year-old. Um, and it's also like I think you've alluded to before, but it's good for Kirby Jack um, to play – uh, a couple of games here when Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze are still playing uh, just so because you know those guys are know what it takes to win Stanley Cup, maybe they're not as good as what they used to be, but they're still legitimate players um, in this league and um, yeah it's uh, it's tough um, but so that's got to be good for his development at least. Um, compared to, like, Buffalo, who we were talking about last week. So uh, what do you have on Kirby Derek?
0: So um, his first taste of WHL hockey um, came with the Saskatoon Blades uh, from start to finish, played with the Saskatoon Blades. In 19 games, played in 2016-17, he had 10 points, pretty respectable. Um, 2017-18 was his first actual season of significant duty played in 52 games there only scored seven goals um but only picked up 119 shots on goals so that might explain why pretty good setup man racking up 39 assists over those 52 games so that gave him 46 points Uh, He had 21 power play points as well Uh, 2018 19 played in 62 games. Again, racked up the assists. He had 48 this time. Also picked up 25 goals, uh, an improvement of 18 from 2017 18. So that gave him 73 points over 62 games. Had 26 power play points, five game winners, 208 shots. So uh, was able to pick, build up on his offense that way. The one thing that kind of concerned me a little bit when it comes to kirby dock and where he slots into the blackhawks system when he was drafted i was just thinking okay they're either gonna get someone to replace part of the key seabrook tandem as the core piece of the future or they're going to get a future number one center to somewhere along the line, take the reins of Jonathan Taves. I'm not saying Kirby Dogg is going to be the future of the captain of the Blackhawks. That's still up for debate, but at the very least someone who can play Taves's role. And the one thing Jonathan Taves does pretty well, while he doesn't have the offensive flair that Patrick Kane has, although he's had some good offensive years in his own right, he wins face That's his job. That's his job as the number one center, and he does yeah. it very well. Kirby Duck in 2017-18 took 669 draws. He won 275 of them, which might sound respectable, but that's a face-off win percentage of 41.1%. Not spectacular. 2018-19, you figure 73 points in 62 games, that faceoff percentage has improved. Takes 1,147 faceoffs. That's, mm, I think, top 30 in the league, or certainly top 50 anyway. And he wins 473 of those. So that faceoff percentage only improved by 0.1%. So he was 41.2% from the dot in 2018 19 with the Saskatoon Blades. You figure, okay. Uh, what were his numbers like in the dot this year? Well, he goes to the NHL as a rookie. I think he was fifth or sixth in faceoffs taken in uh by uh Blackhawk skaters this year. And I don't even think he won 35% of his draws. So yeah. that is going to be the biggest room for improvement. Um as a as a critic of Kirby Doc. But the good news is he has the offensive mind. He has the capabilities to think at a high level offensively. He reads the play, and he can rack up the assists. So the hope is you work on your face-offs, you get better at your face-offs, and then when you're a face-off master and you add the offense on top of that, you're looking at a very good hockey player.
1: Yeah, that that is a good point. I, I didn't know that about the face-offs. Um, so that's something that he could work Neither on did
0: I until I look them up. So yeah. there you go. Look on the WHL's website.
1: Okay. Interesting. Um, I had forgotten to do the cap friendly stuff on the black Hawks. Um, <laughs> just, they're in cap
0: hell. that's all you yeah, need to know. They are still. in cap
1: hell. That's true. But in terms of free agents, this off season, they're not in bad shape. Um, Drake could, you, uh, there's only five RFAs that they have to deal with in one UFA. Um, they have Drake Kajula, uh, Dominic Kubelik. Kubelik. Um, oh, that's another one who's been pretty good. Yeah, uh, that,
0: that, that could be an interesting one is Kubelik. Thankfully, they don't have to worry about yeah. it because they signed him to a three-year extension yeah, already.
1: For sure. Uh, Dylan Strom and yep. Slater Cuckoo. Oh, and, and also Suban. Subban. Uh, the only UFA this year uh, is Corey Crawford um, as well. Uh, just looking at their cap friendly page. And then of course, they're still paying Patrick Keane, Jonathan T- and Jonathan Taze for three more years at 10.5 million. Um, and they also are paying Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook um, a lot of money for a long term as well until 2022, 2023. Um, and Brent Seabrook is even longer than that. That's 2023 to 2024 probably the worst contract in hockey right now. Arguably I guess Zach Parise and Ryan Suter in Minnesota but it does limit their ability to really uh, rebuild. However, uh, with the guys that we're talking about like like Kirby Dak they're kind of in good shape um, just because um, these guys are going to be pretty good but once their entry level contracts give out then, then that's when they get in real trouble because um, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Tays are gonna be 34 by the end of their contract. Um, and like, you know, Duncan Keith is 36 right now and he still has three more years left to go. And Brent Seabrook is 34 and he'll be 37 by the end of his contract. Um, so it's not looking great for them.
0: Yeah, even if you take uh, Brandon Sod off the books in 2021 along with Zach Smith, that might free up a cap hit of $9.25 million. But again, when you factor in, they're going to have to pay Kubelik and Dylan Strom and then to brink it a couple years after that. And then you have Kane and Taze near the end of their contracts. Yeah. Really, how much cap space is that going to give you?
1: Right, right, for sure. So so just looking at that, like I think Kirby Dak... Um, will we'll certainly be, uh, like, a top-six center in the next three years. Um, and it is good to see that he is doing well in the NHL. Um, but I could also see it, like, being, like, a Casey Middlestad-type situation where all of a sudden they rush him in and they didn't give him seasoning um, and to go back into running uh, What is their Rockford? I guess is their AHL team. Yeah. Um, So like they didn't give him seasoning to go into Rockford um, and tear it up there um, to see how he does in um, in the AHL first to develop there. But um, at the same time, you know, it's um, he is doing well. So you know, some teams, some players don't need the development and. You know, they drafted him third overall. They're definitely that's that shows that they're clearly high on him uh, when they passed up on guys like Bowen Byron or Alex Turcott, who are supposed to be are or are supposed to be better than than Kirby Dak is. Um,
0: um, and like I said, he can lean yeah. on the experience of Dave's, which Millsad doesn't have in Buffalo, right? Um, a guy who's been there, done that, won three cups, knows how to lead, has been on a couple of Team Canada teams that also did pretty well, too. Um, So there's definitely a bright future ahead for Kirby Dock, where the the face-off problem is probably a short-term problem that's going to be remedied uh, in the near future, and the good outweighs the bad for the most part.
1: Yep. And, you know, honestly, I thought they were going to go with Bowen Byron, but we're about to talk about three defensemen um, that shows that they're actually not in bad shape um, in terms of defensemen. So the first guy we're going to talk about is Adam Boakvist, Um Once I find where he is, in because oh, he, I guess, the Blackhawks, uh, the lead prospects doesn't count him as a prospect. Um, Adam Boakvist, uh because he played, he played a couple of games for Chicago um, this year in 41 games. Uh, he had 13 points. Um, And then he was in the AHL uh, for 15 games last year, or this year, Uh, he had six points. Uh, The year before that, he went to the OHL to play for the London Knights, uh, where he had 60 points in 54 games, which is pretty good for uh, a defenseman. Um, And then in the World Juniors that year, he had four points in five games for Sweden. Um, so it looks like he's going to be a decent, like power play defenseman or offensive defenseman for them. Um, I remember at the time I was kind of con- like, I see that like he had one point in 15 games in the SHL, but, and I was just concerned about his scoring, but I hadn't put into effect that he's playing with like a bunch of pro- professional players in the Swedish yep. Hockey League. Um, and so even still like playing in the shl like that like even just one assist is uh not that bad um so he uh he is a good player he was another high draft pick too um he was uh picked eighth overall in the 2018 draft um, as well um yeah and you know he like it, it is kind of weird to project where he'll be in three years but at the same time, he has the most upside of all these guys that we're about to talk about in terms of defensemen, and he, uh, yeah, he he could he I could see him definitely taking over Duncan Keith's role as the power play quarterback uh, for the Blackhawks, um, in even maybe next year. Um, dare I say?
0: Yeah, and uh, the the thing with Bjorkvist is. I think it was important for him to play in a league amongst his peers where he could just go out there and dominate. And what better way to go to a franchise that's known to build winners and always seems to have good talent every single year. So the London Knights was a no-brainer choice for Bielkvist. Probably a good decision to make for him. On top of scoring 60 points in 50 games, not too many defensive uh, defensemen uh, do this. He got 20 goals as well. So uh, 20 goals, 40 assists with the London Knights that year, also had 23 power play points, only 149 shots, so his shooting percentage was 13.9, pretty decent. Um, I believe the only other defenseman to score at least 20 in that season uh, in the OHL was Mac Hollowell of the Sioux Greyhounds, I believe he's the Leafs prospect at the moment. Um, Yeah, I think that's right. Gilchrist was, nevertheless, top five in power play goals scored and game winners outside the top ten in overall assists and power play assists. Uh, I believe that's uh, up amongst uh, OHL defensemen. And uh, that that was also a London Knights team that had Evan Bouchard, uh, top tier NHL prospect in his own right with the Oilers that we'll probably talk about next week. Um, So uh, London also had better or not better defenseman but a lot uh probably the best defensive depth they've had in quite some time they also had joey Keane, who was acquired in a trade out of barry that season alec regula who had 11 goals from the back end last year they had a lot of depth on defense and bjokfist kind of held uh led the charge um for the knights who had uh, four defensemen in the top 10 team scoring which you don't often find uh 11 playoff games didn't reach the conference finals uh the london knights did uh, in 2018-19 but uh, what are uh yeah so it was 2018-19 that happened uh but in the short time that he was in the playoffs in 2019 adam buchvist definitely got people to take notice of his skills in 11 games brett he scored 10 times wow 10 goals in 11 games, almost a goal per game, very rare for a defenseman. 8 of his 10 goals on the extra man, 11 of his 13 points with the extra man, 27.7 shooting percentage. Bouchard had 21 points, which um, was better than Bjorkvist from an offensive perspective, but he only had four goals. So it seemed that Bouchard would set up the goals, Bjorkvist would be the guy to finish, him off, uh, to finish them off. And even... Even then, Bjorkfist was fifth in defensive scoring that entire playoff run. Uh, you also take a look at his World Juniors resume, he, um, he looked pretty good. Um, like I mentioned, four points in five games, a goal, three assists. Uh, you don't expect many defenders to finish top ten in scoring, so four points in five games for a defenseman is pretty respectable. On top of that, the Swedes had a lot of great NHL talent on their blue line that year. You had Rasmus Sandin. had two goals and two assists and you also had eric brandstrom then with vegas now with ottawa he got uh, four goals in that tournament so uh to put up four points in five games with that defensive depth uh, that was pretty good uh like this season was more of a feeling out kind of process where you get more acquainted to the north american game you turn pro you spend some time in the ahl you spend some time in the nhl and I was looking at where Beogfist uh, ranked amongst Blackhawks defenders in scoring. And yeah, he only had 13 points, but he played 41 games. If you look at the rest of Chicago's defense, not a single guy has at least 30 points this year. It's Their back end isn't that great offensively. And even with the limited amount of time that Beogfist has played this year... He's around the top three in goals scored by defenseman on that Chicago roster. So I definitely think with more time, more exposure to those big moments, uh, more exposure to special teams uh, such as the power play, and he's already got over 88 minutes logged on the power play as well. So that alone goes to show you how much the Blackhawks trust this young defenseman uh i definitely think as the years go by he's only going to get better and in three years time you're going to see um a very talented top four offensive first blue liner um who i believe is one of the only right-handed shots that uh, the blackhawks have he's a right defenseman um but they don't have too much depth um They have they have a fair bit on the left side, but not nearly enough pure right handed shots to work with So that makes him even more valuable to the Blackhawks organization So I'm interested to see what he can provide
1: Yeah, it should be exciting to see uh, for sure. Uh, The next guy we're going to talk about is uh, Dylan Sakura he uh so he's been most of his I guess he is kind of old for prospects. Uh he's 24 years old, but he still counts um but uh he played really well in uh Northeastern a couple of years ago, um especially his last year at Northeastern where he had 54 points in 35 games. Um and then uh and then for the past couple of years he's played in Kind of uh, like a third-line role um, in Chicago when he's been called up. But then, for the most part, he's been in a Rockford um, the last two years, uh, last two seasons. Uh, and he's he's been pretty good there. Um, 35 points in 46 games his first, uh, last year. And then this year, he had 33 points in 45 games. Uh, for Rockford Icehawks. And the only question now though is will he ever, like can this transition to uh, the Chicago Blackhawks Um, in the uh, about 42 games that he's played for the Chicago Blackhawks, he has 11 points. Uh, One of those were goals Um, That's not bad, obviously. Um, And I don't. Let me look here. I don't believe he had a ton of ice time when he was playing for Chicago. Yeah, he had like nine minutes of ice time this season. Um, The year before that, he had eleven minutes of ice time on average um, in those thirty-three games. Um, And then the his like the first five games. Um, he's ever played he had 13 minutes of ice time so you know he doesn't get a ton of ice time which is interesting but like at the same time he's been really good in Rockford he's been really good at Northeastern it's interesting to see what they can do I know that they have Patrick Kane uh, Alex DeBrincat as wingers Um, Alex Nylander has been decent uh, Dominic Kubelik has really shown himself this year. They also have like Brandon Saad um, and a bunch of other players in terms of wingers. Um, but you would think that maybe they can bring up Dylan Secura um, to be one of those guys, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, so yeah, I, I think he, he will find a sp- spot pretty soon. Um, However, I'm not sure if it's going to be on the second or third line um, when all said is done, said and done.
0: Yeah, the Blackhawks have certainly been playing the waiting game with Secura. I don't know if you took a look at where he was drafted, Brad. Uh, He was the sixth-round pick in 2014. Yeah. So before he even played an NCAA game, the Hawks had drafted
1: him. Yeah, Um, that's a good
0: point. uh, His draft year uh, was after a 64-point season in 41 games in the Ontario Junior Hockey League uh, with the Aurora Tigers, where he had 10 goals and 11 assists in 21 playoff games. Then he got drafted. And it was only after that where he began his stint at Northeastern University. Um, Started to find his stride in year one, but, but seven points in 25 games, not overly dynamic. Um, A bit better in year two when he had 28 points in 39 games, 10 of which were goals. 2016-17 is when he became an NCAA threat. He had 21 goals, assisted on 36 others, 57 points in 38 games. Um, He was sixth in the league in points, third in assists, uh, 16 in goals as well. Uh, Year four, similar numbers, uh, 22 goals, 32 assists for 54 points and 35 Games was an assistant captain with Northeastern that year. The only other skiers to finish with more points than Secura that year were Adam Godette and Max Barano. And he was six and six in assists, 12th in goals league wide that season as well, was still in Like you mentioned, pretty decent AHL numbers. Uh, he averaged 3.77 shots per game this year in Rockford, uh, 170 shots over 45 games. Um, and the year before that, he had uh, 17 goals on 150 shots, so a better shooting percentage there. Um, overall, I think he has what it takes to make the roster. Again, it depends on what kind of role he gets, uh, where he fits best. The good news is, according to Cap Friendly, he can play left wing, he can play right wing, and he can play center. So he's it's one of those versatile picks where Chicago can plug him in a certain position and see if that works if that doesn't work they can plug him in the other option and if they have to go to plan C they'll go to plan C wherever the Hawks can get the most depth scoring is is crucial here because that's what the Hawks need more than anything besides team defense which is important besides goaltending which is important part of the reason why the Hawks were first round exit a few years ago against the Predators were because the depth scoring let them down. They relied too much on guys like Jonathan Tays and Artemi Panarin and Patrick Kane. And they relied too much on the top six, not named those three guys. So when it comes time to contend again, you need to know that you have enough depth scoring to contend for a Stanley Cup so if Dylan Sakura can provide that he will be on this roster again where he fits remains to be seen and that's something that's going to be debated for a while
1: yep that's a good point Um, yeah I'm not sure where he fits so it's still up in the air but um, he has looked good so far at least Um, maybe it's going to be in a role player type you know just like a third line person but um he may you know he may stick in the top six line we'll have to see um, yeah they
0: also they also have uh, guys like uh john Quenville, alex fortan even philip kurashev who yep uh, has shown potential at the junior level too depending yes. on where their development is in a couple of years um
1: yeah those are that the guys.
0: Could be bad news for Secura as well because they're pushing for the same spot he's pushing for too
1: yep those are certainly other guys to look at um the uh, the next guy we're going to talk about is Ian Mitchell. Um, he uh, he's another one who uh, the Blackhawks dra- well he he was drafted in the second round in 2017, um, but he played out all his um, or no he's a junior now. Apparently, there's reports. It's not official yet, but it does seem like. I've seen a lot of sources from Twitter saying that he has signed with the Blackhawks. It could be any second now. Um, He was a Hobie Baker finalist, too. Uh, Ian Mitchell, he had 30 because and for good reason, too, because last year or, you know, for the University of Denver, um, where he was the captain for, he had 32 points in 36 games um, 10 goals and 12, 22 assists um, to be exact. The year before that was oh, when he really took off because he had 27 points in 39 games. Um, he also played in the World Juniors for Canada where he had three points in five games in that, in that frame. Um, so yeah, he, uh, and I, I remember recalling back in the 2019 draft Um, when they were deciding to pass on Bowen Byram. um, And I remember, I think there's like a quote from Bowman, I forget the exact quote, but uh, he mentioned how he's, um, they felt that because of the picks of Boakfist and Ian Mitchell in particular, they were really excited about, like they felt like their need um, wasn't as strong for defensemen. So... Uh, they're very high on Ian Mitchell as well. Um, which makes sense too, when you look at his numbers, um, as well in in terms of college, um, he's been pretty good. Uh, the thing that's interesting though, about a bunch of these college guys, and I've mentioned this before is like, we don't know how good, like, you know, like I think historically speaking, the, uh, CHL is probably, has more, higher competition and stuff. So comparing college guys, although it's gotten better over the years, um, it's tough to, so if you can dominate in college, that's that does show that you're pretty good, but it sometimes it doesn't always translate. Um, like case in point, like there's a guy who uh, was a Hobie Baker finalist, uh, Jordan Kawaguchi, um, and he wasn't even drafted. He hasn't been drafted by any uh, team yet, uh, so it just showed, And you know, he could be decent, or he could be um, terrible at, in terms of like being a pro. But we don't really know. Yeah. No. Um. Until until it happens. So yeah, it's. Um, but I think Ian Mitchell could be a decent pro. Having said all that um i do wonder though how he does when if he's going to be in rockford uh to start i would imagine so um yeah but he could be a good option um in a couple of years um if he is good right away or you know next season yeah cause it's
0: not like the hawks are expecting to contend for a cup next right. year this is gonna be a year by year process um but i what Ian Mitchell does bring is consistency because his first year with the University of Denver in 2017-18, I believe Montgomery, Jim Montgomery was the coach for Denver at the time, um, and Mitchell posts 30 points in 41 games as a rookie,
1: Yep,
0: 15th in scoring by Blue Liners in the entire NCAA, just a hair outside of the top 20 in assists in the entire NCAA, fifth in assists amongst NCAA rear guards. Uh, in year two with the University of Denver, he's an assistant captain. That was the year he got 27 points in 39 games, as Brent mentioned. Uh, also improved on his goal total. He only had two in his first year. In his second year, he had six. Uh, so it was a slight regression, but uh, if you take a look at his final year where he played 36 games and got 32 points, he had a career high 10 goals. was a year where he had a point per game average of 0.89 uh so a much better point per game than any of his previous two seasons uh and like you said how high stan bowman was on ian mitchell well he wanted actually he wanted ian mitchell in the system before the start of this year but he wanted to go back, help his team win a national title. Unfortunately, COVID-19 has ruined that. But uh, he wanted uh, to go back to Denver as what it turned out to be as team captain and help his team out. And Stan Bowman understood that. He respected it. And he said, when the time is right, we'll bring him in. That time appears to be now. Uh, You're right, Brett. I think probably Rockford is the best option for him uh definitely would be very dumb for the hawks to kind of rush him in especially even if you still have those keith and Sieber contracts you at least buy some time for the young kids like uh, bjogfist and uh regula and uh bodine who we'll talk about later and uh this guy now ian mitchell to really refine their craft um so i'm i'm interested to see what he provides uh, what i actually also didn't know uh he won the spangler cup with team canada a few months ago oh, um no he, he was actually playing that tournament tournament where uh, professional men are playing um he played in that tournament and he won a goal with team canada which is pretty good um it again like i mentioned with the hawks depth um they are really looking for someone on the right side Uh, They have a talented defensive prospect in Lucas Carlson, who has been putting up decent stats with AHL Rockford, but like most Hawks blue liners, he shoots left. And the only ones on the current Hawks roster that have a right-handed shot are Adam Bjorkvist, who we mentioned, and Connor Murphy, who isn't exactly their definition of a top four defenseman, I'm sure. And the only other guy on the death chart with a right-handed shot is Alec Regula, who had a decent season with the London Knights, but is his ceiling at higher than Adam Bjorkvist? Is it higher than Ian Mitchell's? Probably not. So at the very least, he could be a top four defenseman. At best, he could be a top two defenseman, depending on how things play out with Bjorkvist. But Uh, I definitely see a top four role in his future, and it ultimately depends on him if he can make that happen.
1: Right, that makes sense. Um, And then the last guy we're gonna talk about for Chicago is uh, Nicholas Boudin, Boudin, I think that's how you pronounce his last name? Yeah. It's tough to say. Um, (laughs) I actually found out, I didn't know that he made his NHL debut just before the, uh, the, just the, before
0: the madness happened. Yeah,
1: man. just before the madness happened. But um, during, in uh, in Rockford this year, he had, he played in 59 games. Uh, he had 15 points in those 59 games, which isn't bad. Um, about 33 penalty minutes, which is interesting. See, the thing with the elite prospects is I don't know anything else other than the points they have. But um, <laughs> anyways. Um, That's
0: where the elite website's kind of handy
1: yeah i should i should probably switch over to that um but yeah he's been um yeah he, he also like uh adam boakfist he was a first round pick but he was uh he went 27th overall i believe so, so that must have been a trade that happened that year uh where nicholas bodine was the pick um and that was another reason why i guess the the blackhawks didn't want to take Bowen Byram, um, in their their draft. By the way, I keep that's like the fifth time I mentioned that the Blackhawks passed on Bowen Byram. Uh, but uh, the uh, it is uh, he is still twenty years old. Uh, the thing that's interesting though is like I would like to. He had a decent QMJHL season um, or career, I should say. Uh, he had fifty six points in fifty three games the last year in Drummondville uh, the year before that he had 69 points in 68 games which is not bad for a defenseman again. Um, so so yeah he, he was pretty good for uh, Drummondville uh, there and it could show that he could be a, a decent defenseman. Um, I guess from what I'm reading is he's more of a two-way defenseman uh, like he's good on offense but he's also good on defense as well which bodes well for um for him and his time. Uh yeah. So it, it could be interesting to see how he fits in um yeah, uh in the future.
0: which harkens back to my point about team defense. You know, it's one thing to solve your depth scoring, but you also need to keep the puck out of the net. And that definitely gives him an edge because they need a complete defenseman. I'm not saying like you need a defenseman with Duncan Key's stamina, but if you can get anything close to that, or at least decent to that, where, you know, like you can put up 40 plus points, but also be a one of the top 10 defensemen in terms of two-way reliability, then, hey, all the power to you. And that, that definitely helps out um, Nicholas Bodine's cause. The thing with Bodine, I don't expect him to be the type of guy, as we've seen with Duncan Keith, that can score a lot of goals. Um, Probably a guy like Adam Bjorkvist will be scoring more goals than Nicholas Bodine. But if uh, there's one thing you would take a look at uh, in regards to his QMJHL numbers, he has no problem racking up the assists. Um, He had 36 assists in 64 games in 2016-17. That was a 41-point season for him. Uh, 13 power play assists there. Uh, In terms of... The following season, he had 69 points, um, putting him in a three-way tie for second in scoring uh, with Noah Dobson. You've probably heard of him, a uh, yep. popular Islanders prospect right now. Uh, he was tied for second with another QMJHL jhl defenseman. Uh, uh, his name, uh, Thomas Gregoire. I don't know if he's NHL drafted. Uh, But anyways, he tied him in assists by defenseman with 57 that year. uh, And he was also tied for first in power play assists with 200 defenders, uh, with two other defenders. Uh, And then 53 games, 2018-19. Top five in QMJHL defensive scoring with 56 points. uh, 20 points with the extra man. uh, Top 20 in generating shots. Only got seven goals, but... um, only one other guy was able to equal and surpass uh, the 49 helpers that Bodine posted. So, again, a guy that likes to pile up the assists, helps out on the power play. He's probably going to be more of a setup defenseman than a finishing defenseman. Um, so we'll, it will be interesting to see if he can emerge as a top four defender. If, if, if all three of these guys can be top four caliber players, the Blackhawks, definitely bodes well for their
1: future yeah um yeah, that's the thing and I was about to get into it uh, just before we talk about the Colorado Avalanche um, is that the you know we, we talked about these three defensemen Ian Mitchell uh fist and um, Bodine uh, they all look promising um, as defensemen for sure um, and especially when you know you have an aging Duncan Keith and um, an aging Brent Seabrook, you're not sure if you can fit in Oli Mata and C- Connor Murphy and um, all these guys. Um, and it was a big reason why they even traded Eric Gustafson because you know they couldn't afford him. Um, but and you all so like they have a bright future when it comes to defensemen. Uh, Patrick Kane's still pretty good. He's an elite player, um, even well into his 30s. So that's, uh, he should still be good. And, you know, Kirby Dack, Alex DeBrincat's pretty young. Uh, you know, Kubalik, Dylan Strom had his moments. Um, those are, you know, they had, a, they, they should be good enough on the forward group. But the one worrisome thing for the Chicago Blackhawks when it comes to their um, you know what they're going to do um, in position wise is their goaltending um, Corey Crawford's going to be a UFA this year uh, so he may not even play he may retire I wouldn't be shocked to see that uh, Malcolm Subban um, he was you know he wasn't that good um, he hasn't been that good this is his third team um, in the Chicago Um, And when you look at like all the prospect goalies, and I remember we were talking about this before, like I guess there's Colin Delio who had his moments a couple times last year, but like there's Kevin Lincoln in, um, Alexis Gravel. Um, There's no one really that stands out for the goalies. So I wonder if they're gonna try to address that um, in the draft this year. Um, I know that they're probably gonna get a top 10 pick, so I wonder if there and I know that there's this uh, Russian goalie who a lot of people I are feeling saying
0: you're going in that yeah, direction um, in you're terms co- of you're thinking, yeah, they're going to take her off.
1: Yeah, um, especially because that's been like he's supposedly the most hyped goalie taken. Um, and uh, they seem to be the most likely like they they're in a desperate need for a goalie. Um, so I'm not sure if Askarov will be ready right away. Um, so I, I, I'd imagine that they'll probably get some goalie during free agency this year. But uh, yeah, I could. I, I feel like it could definitely be like a Spencer Knight, Sergei Bobrovsky type situation that the Panthers did last year where they get a goalie of the future and they get a goalie now. Um, hopefully they don't uh, spend as much as the Panthers did on Bobrovsky, but uh, maybe they can get uh, a decent goalie uh, uh, on a good contract um, and in waiting for Askarov to uh, take he- heed of the net.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll mention uh, that and also wrap up with a point on Bodine. I'll, I'll start with the goalie first. Um, Askarov, yeah. I understand why they would be tempted. Um, at the same time, the top 10 looks very, very good offensively. If you have a chance to draft Astroff or Cole Perfetti, I would honestly be tempted to draft Cole Perfetti. Like it, I'm, I'm yeah. thinking uh, from Ryan Kennedy of the Hockey News, he said someone who could possibly get like 80 to 90 points a year in the NHL, uh, Cole Perfetti would be a decent pickup. So I'm, al- I'm almost tempted to go with Perfetti. Uh, the reason being, in 2021 there are going to be a lot of veteran free agent goalies up for grabs uh jordan bennington i know he's not much of a veteran but he's won a stanley cup he Looked pretty decent this year uh frederick anderson yeah. has got a pretty good track record as well to garask assuming he doesn't retire but maybe a- could be an option for them as well a goalie of the future material i definitely think probably the best route is to go through the draft but if they want a short-term fix i think if they somehow have the cap space and that's the big if um they could probably go goalie hunting in free agency not this coming summer but the one after uh just to close
1: wait wait hold on uh, on that point though wait wait hold on on that point though those guys are going to be free agents next next year they yeah, need a goalie that can help them out now. They they don't, <laughs> you know, and not to yeah okay. That <laughs> dude, dude,
0: again, they're not contending for a cup next year. I know
1: why? the but like they can get like a goalie that's gonna like just help them out while they wait for Askarov.
0: True, but they. Could but like
1: they're to- they're not gonna they can't. I mean yeah I I see what you're saying. Like you're you're saying that they should wait. Instead, get like a forward this draft, and then get a goalie. uh In twenty twenty one, yeah, yeah. I guess I could see that. I don't know. I, but like they still need to get a goalie. <laughs> they do, and,
0: and they and they should. If they don't get one next year, uh, this coming off season, they'll get one next off season. They have to. Okay. Um, getting to bodine real quick, and then we'll go to the Abs. Yeah. The fact that he is a left shot defenseman, considering. The depth that, well, I don't know if you would call it depth on the roster right now, but given the amount of prospects that are also left-handed, I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of puts an extra chip on Nick Bodine's shoulder to kind of make the roster. And anytime you get a guy with a chip on his shoulder, probably not a bad thing for your franchise.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, We're kind of, I just realized we're at 50-minute mark here. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so we should probably get going on this. Um, Everyone's gonna think we're a biased black artist podcast. Well, right? I don't know. Um <laughs> we, we don't we already talk about prospects. We can go along in yeah. here. Um, so Bowen Byram is gonna be I this is the sixth uh, time I'm talking what, about. Sixth time now.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, Bowen Byram, uh, he went fourth overall last year, um, because of that Sens trade that I shouldn't mention to the Suns fan, but I am. Um, But yeah, he was very, very good uh, his draft year. Uh, He had 26 goals, 45 points uh, assist in in 71, that's 71 points in 61 games, uh, 67 games. Um, And then this year, um, I think he was told to go back to uh, the WHL again for the Vancouver Giants and play um, more defensive game. Having said that, he still had more than a point per game um, there. Uh, he had 52 points um, in 50 games. Um, oh, I guess I was supposed to talk about the Colorado Avalanches cap situation as well. Um, they're in pretty good shape, actually, um, if yeah. I remember correctly. Um, although I know... Oh, they're not in... Well, okay. So they have Nemistnikov. Nieto, uh, Mark Barbario, Bar- Bar- Kevin Cana um, Michael Hutchinson, and Colin Wilson are all going to be UFAs this summer. Um, the RFAs are uh, Ryan Graves, who's been a st- who's had a breakout season so far. Uh, so uh, Nikita Z- Zadorov is also an RFA. Hey. Um, and then you have uh, Andre Burakovsky, who is also had a breakout season uh, with Tyson Jost, uh, Valery Nichushkin, and L- Ladislav Kamenev as well. So those are all RFAs there. So, uh, But they do have some space, and they have like a bargain with Nathan McKinnon at $6.3 million. Also, Gabe Landeskog costs $5.5 million. That's also a, a bargain, too. Um, and Miko Rant, oh Miko Ranton's cost nine million. So, um, but both of those guys are probably going to get a big raise pretty soon, anyways. Um, anyways, back to Bowen Byron. Uh, he's like a tall dude too, if I remember. Oh no, he's six one. Never mind. I thought he was taller than that. But uh, he plays big. He plays big. Yeah, he hits a lot um and uh yeah during the canada world juniors he had two assists in seven games i guess that's a little bit disappointing from what he had last year but i think what's what i i what stands out mostly to me is the year before that he had 26 goals uh for a defenseman and that's something that's hard to do for a defenseman um and something that would be pretty excited about to be excited about uh for colorado uh, the thing that's interesting, though, is, and we've mentioned him before, is Kale McCarr um, has been like, you know, he's breaking records as a rookie defenseman. Um, and I wonder what's going to happen to Bowen Byram when he gets into the league. Because Kale McCarr is going to be the guy. Um, and then you have Bone Byram also there. I guess it doesn't hurt to have both these guys in your lineup. Um, like, you can't really complain and it's a good problem to have, but I wonder what, like, what's going to happen to both of them in terms of ice time and just, um, just defensively speaking, how good they can be when they develop together.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I'm just taking a look at, uh, Colorado's cap friendly page. And the reason why I'm doing this, I want to make sure, I have it right in my notes. If I if I'm if I'm pretty certain, um, Bowen Byram and Kale McCarr are both right-handed defensemen. So basically, if you're not playing one, uh, you're on uh, the top pairing. Um, the other's going to get the top pairing, and so no, uh, you're kind of- Byram Byron is versus-
1: left-handed and Kale McCarr is right-handed. Um, I just told you. But, this.
0: Okay, yeah. So you could even have them on the same deep pairing. Wow. What?
1: What? Yeah. what a I fun experiment that good would one. be
0: for for the Avalanche to explore. Eh? You got right. Bo and Byram and Kill McCarr on the same deep pairing. Oh, I mean not. Yeah. On the same power play unit too. See, you, you think their power play is lethal now? Just wait until Bo and Byram gets there. It'll be even better. Right. Um, also, um, been able to display a bit of leadership with the vancouver giants in uh, 2018-19 he was an assistant captain there his 26 goals by the way no other defenseman matched him so that's how hard it is to score 26 goals you you lead the league with that stat um 45 assists that season second best on vancouver and um only trailed the same player who led the team in points uh byron was top three in uh, points that year had 193 shots um so again a very very good year for bowen byram in the playoffs uh, in particular he was especially dominant Uh, the giants went to the whl finals lost to prince albert in seven games so one game shot of a memorial cup appearance and uh, byram was night and day the best player in the entire WHL playoffs, he had 26 points in 22 games, 76 shots on goal, third most overall. Um, playoff goals, he had eight of those. Um, he had 18 playoff assists to lead the WHL. In the regular season, uh, nine of his 26 tallies turned out to be game winners, so he even had the clutch gene going as well. So uh, that's, that's pretty good for him. Um, not as explosive of a season this year, um, but he got a gold medal with team canada to assist in seven games at the 2020 world juniors uh 52 points in 50 games pretty respectable still top 10 in the whl amongst defensemen um so you you also take into account um that he was averaging 2.8 shots per game this year and 2.88 last year his numbers are still pretty respectable and the hype is ultimately what gets me very excited a guy that can play in all three zones just an absolute workhorse um defensively sound as well according to what uh, scouts are saying on elite prospects it's one thing if you if if you can't really contain them offensively but when you have a guy that also has an active stick with good balance just lethal explosiveness can pass from anywhere can pass at any length just efficient and crisp all the way around. You don't find guys like that in every
1: draft. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So we have to get going here. Um, (laughs) The next guy we're going to talk about is Alex Newhook. Um, He also is another 2019 draft pick, but this was 16th overall from the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I have to say, though, that, like, they, they may have come up with a steal for uh, this guy. Um, he, he play. I, I watched him play a couple times at BC uh, this year. Uh, he is Canadian, which is interesting, but he also, uh, he played in college now, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, but anyways, he, uh, he had a couple of uh, games, I remember a couple of the goals where he looked very impressive. So I've actually watched this guy play. Um, he's going to be pretty good, I think. Uh, the one uh, anyways his stats are uh, 42 points in 34 games Uh, 19 of them were goals Um, the only thing though that could be interesting and I think a reason why he was like he was uh, drafted um, 16th overall in the first round this year was because he played for the BCHL the year before that which is like the junior league uh, beforehand uh, he, he killed it there um, and then um, and so sometimes that doesn't always translate um, even in college so I, I do wonder what he's going to do I think he's gonna be a long-term project um, he's also 5 foot 10 which is pretty short um, especially for a center so I do wonder if they're gonna move him to the wing eventually um, but he looks like he's going to be good in a couple of years, even still, I think they're, they're, it's from the sounds of it, I think the, the Avalanche are expecting him to be, or like to be in the lineup in maybe three years. Uh, he'll, he'll just start being there in, in maybe two to three years, uh, but um, especially if he stays at BC for another year. So um, I could see that happening too
0: yeah the interesting thing about newhook uh born in st john's newfoundland and labrador in order to make it big more often than not you kind of have to move away from home in that case yep. and um he went to the bchl earned his stripes there as you mentioned he was uh, the top scorer in his uh, draft year 38 goals 64 assists 18 points clear of second place uh for for the bchl scoring lead he was the named the top player in the league Uh, his rookie season and he was one of the top rookies i think he actually led rookies in scoring that year um had a monster playoff in his draft year 24 points in 15 games you mentioned his year with boston college um top 25 in assists 12th in goals with 19 um if he plays out year two in its entirety who knows honestly how much damage he could do he could be a top five scorer in the league maybe even the top score in all of ncaa uh, so it's interesting uh, you mentioned that also that he's 5 foot 10 192 pounds yep. uh, according to my sources um, yeah, so he might not be tall but again he plays big um, he's, he's also one of those like hard guys always moving his feet um, every coach loves a guy that's always involved always engaged with the play That's how guys become X-Factors. And when you match his skating with the speed of the Avalanche as a team, they're a very fast team. Uh, He's a guy that excels on the rush, his strides are powerful and explosive, quick release, no fear, just hungry all the time. I definitely think he fits the bill for the abs. Uh, You're right in terms of where he slots into the lineup, Um, that'll be interesting. I definitely think he could be at the very least a third line center in the future, depending on how things shape up. Um, as long as McKinnon's there, he won't be the top line center, obviously. Um, right. I think he's rightfully in that spot. Uh, but I'm, I'm definitely interested uh, to see what the future holds for Newhook because um, I think ultimately it's another case of his future is entirely in his hands.
1: Right, for sure. Uh, we're, so our next guy is, um, we're going to, across the pond, um, over in Finland. Uh, we're going to talk about Justice Anunian. Um, this guy wasn't even on my radar until I was looking at, uh, like the Colorado Avalanche prospect page. Um, and then I started to look into it, uh, to see what goalies they had. Um, and all of a sudden, like, he has incredible stats for, uh, so he plays for Pot, um in Liga. Sorry for all these pronunciations, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in those 23 games, he had 1.77 GAA um, and a save percentage of 9.29 um, in 23 games. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a short um, games played, but just remember that, like, this is a professional <laughs> hockey league there where he's playing with a lot of players that are older than him. Um, And uh, even still he's been good. What's also impressive is he also played in the World Juniors this year, um, and he was pretty good there too. Um, Of course, it's also a small sample size, but in those six games he had a 921 save percentage and a GAA of 2.57 in the World Juniors under 20. Um, he was a 2018 draft pick um, in the third round, um, and he's 20 years old. So uh, yeah, I know that the Avalanche do have, uh, you know, Grubauer and Frank um who's also pretty good too. Um, it just makes me wonder though, if um, they're both pretty young too, um, but I feel like a could be the goalie of the future. Even still, I know it's a little bit early and we still have to see what he does eventually. But um, like Elite lead prospect says that he's signed up for Carpat at ne- least for another year. So we may not even see him in three years. But we could see him maybe in five years. Um, and he could be a, a guy to watch there in Colorado.
0: Yeah, and the abs definitely have their goaltending prospects as well because they also have Hunter Miska, yeah. who was at one time a Coyotes prospect, uh, they they got him, I can't remember if it was waivers or uh, just through um, a free agent signing of some sort. Uh, they also have Trent Miner, who they drafted, haven't signed either um so it'll be it'll be interesting uh, to see how they work that out they also have adam werner who played in a couple of nhl games this year also played in the ahl with the colorado eagles uh so there's definitely no rush to bring eustace Anion in, in the full just yet you're right. It has been a great year for him. Third best save percentage at the World Juniors. He played six games there. Um, first in the league and in Liga in uh, save percentage and goals against this year. Um, even though, like it's his first real significant um, line of work in Liga, it's it's definitely a good season and something you'd hope that he builds on. What he. What he doesn't have in numbers, he kind of makes up for in hype. Uh, six foot four, two hundred seven pounds. Definitely a guy that covers up a lot of the net. So he's got a, a bit of time to develop and grow and and fine-tune his skills a little bit. But the potential for him to be a critical member of this team in three to five years, it's it's definitely there. They definitely see that. Before he makes that jump, though, he will definitely need a couple of seasons—at least one, maybe two, preferably in uh, in the AHL just to get custom to the North American game because he still needs to make that adjustment.
1: Right, for sure. Um, I I realized I skipped someone on our on our lineup here. <laughs> the next guy we're going to talk about is Martin Kaut, Um on this list here. Uh, I'm going to be honest. This might be the first one that I, of the prospects we're talking about in this whole series so far, that I'm not very impressed by. Um, I know, hold on, let me pull him up first. Uh, that I could help things out first. Uh, but, uh, he had, so, so far in the AHL, he had 18 points in 34 games. Um, he did play a bit in Colorado, um, and he did score, um, For the avalanche he had three points in nine games um but and then last year he had 26 points in 63 games for the ahl but like when you look at his what he did in the czech league um he had 16 points in 38 games um i i don't know i guess it's he was a he was a first round pick 16th overall in 2018 um and i don't know i i i feel like that he's not going to be that good, just looking at his stats here, um, just it, it doesn't like spring out to you that he's going to be a good player. Um, not to mention the fact that the Avalanche do have um, Miko Rantanen as a right winger. They also uh, could put you know uh, Nemestikov. Uh, I guess is more of a left winger than a right winger, but he's been good too. Um, just in terms of like wingers, I don't know. Um, I think I would rather, um, I'm not sure if he's as impressive as um, he could be or as expected to be.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's a waiting out process. Uh, taking a look at his Elite Prospects page, uh, one scout says, The combination of his passing and shooting makes him a power play threat, and I'm just thinking, okay, there's your answer. Because Colorado, we all know, we've said many times in the podcast, lethal on the power play, don't know how to stop him, too many weapons on the ice all at once. Um, Could be a guy like Nemesnikov where if you put him on the right line, he could do some serious damage. At the moment, it's probably more of a feeling out process because, yeah, this is his second AHL season. Probably still getting used to the North American game a little bit. Uh, At the same time, um, if you take a look at his shot totals, he only has 59 this year. Uh, Last year, uh, he had 124 and ranked fifth on the Eagles in shots. So I I guess it all depends on where you're putting him in the lineup and how much opportunities that uh, he's getting. So. My my hope is that as the years go on, if they continue to put him in high leverage situations, get him a top six role in Colorado with the Eagles first, and you know maybe he has a big season and that leads to a significant look with the Avalanche. But again, the Avalanche right now, fortunately, have the depth scoring necessary where they don't have to think about Martin Kout and when they're going to bring him up because they can buy him some time for at least another year or two.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. They do have the benefit that they can just put him in the uh, like in the AHL for the time being um, and wait on him. Um, but I don't know. It, it does seem kind of strange that he was a 16th overall pick. I'm looking at that 2018 draft and I noticed that they could have had like Ke'Andre Miller, Ryan Merkley, uh, Dominic Bach, uh, Bernard docker even voting who we just talked about uh, Niles Lundquist, Joe velino like there were some players that were available which I'm sure sh- Ty Smith is another one Liam Fowdy yeah. so like I like they I'm sure they're regretting not taking uh those guys um instead but um, it's not like I guess it's not the end of the world because they do have a good prospect pool and a good team right now um, but it, it's It's not like a life threatening is what I'm getting at. But it's still, um, I feel like it could be pretty bad for them if he doesn't. It's more
0: of a disadvantage for Kout because if you look at the Colorado Avalanche, if he doesn't work out, they can just include him in a package deal and get something that they're lacking. You know, they can include him in like a trade package. It's bad news for Kout because he probably knows if, I don't work out for this team there is going to be someone else that will probably take my job.
1: Yeah, I could see that maybe it's like a if he he could be decent if he get, goes on another team or something like that. That's also yeah. possible. Um all right, this guy we're going to talk about is Connor Timmins. Um he missed the year the year before this uh based on because he was injured for a, a while, but uh, now that he's he played a year in uh, the AHL, he had 27 uh, points in 40 games, which isn't bad for the Colorado Eagles. Um, and uh, but like two years ago for the Sioux Greyhounds, uh, he had 41 points for 36 game in 36 games, and he also played in the World Juniors where he had five points in seven games. Um, yeah, he's another one that's it's it is interesting because Colorado, with Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram, they also have like Eric Johnson uh, for a couple more years, um, and Sam Gerrard, Ryan Graves will probably who's been pretty good too for them. Um, maybe if they sign Nikita Zadorov, so there is some stiff competition for him. But I could see Connor Timmins staying in the AHL for. A couple more years, just because of how many defensemen they have um, in the on their roster right now.
0: Yeah, and the one thing that um, Connor Timmins has going for him is that he's a right defenseman, and like Chicago, Colorado has this thing of you know we got a lot of good defensemen, but we don't have too many primary right-handed shots. Uh, the problem is Kale McCarr is a right-handed shot so is erica johnson so you kind of add Boehm and byram on the left side now and you're just like okay where's the offensive chances for me that's where it might impact uh, connor timmons in terms of how much he can create offensively with the avalanche so this is an interesting piece right here a uh, six foot two so he certainly has the size there um he's probably going to be one of the guys that sets up a lot of the goals uh in 67 games in 2016-17 with the greyhounds in the ohl he had 54 uh 54 assists that was good for a third place finish in ohl defensive assists 11th in the league overall and uh, he was 22nd amongst ohl rear guards with 141 shots that year uh as well only got seven goals that season. Again, not known for his goal-scoring prowess, but can definitely uh, rack up the scoring. 27 points in 40 games in the AHL for a first year. Definitely not that bad. Um, tied for second in defensive scoring with Kevin Connaughton, who is, at this point, a veteran NHL defenseman that's kind of been here and there between the AHL and the NHL up and down. So if Connor Timmins can do that in year one, get him uh, another full season of uh, duty in the AHL if he has a big year could be NHL ready if he's not you know keep him uh, in the AHL let him simmer and just let him refine his tools let him be great and bring him up when he's ready because like you said Colorado's got enough defensive depth like they do at Fords where they don't have to worry about rushing people
1: yeah that's a good point So we go from a team uh, like Chicago and a team like Colorado who are in pretty good shape in terms of prospects. Um, But, and then we go to a team like the Columbus Blue Jackets who are not in good shape in prospects. Um, That's mostly-
0: Well, they they weren't in good shape until they sold the farm.
1: Basically, I was getting to that because (laughs) they they traded a lot of their assets uh, for last year's trade deadline most notably, they traded away uh, Vitaly Ibramoff um, to Ottawa, which we'll talk about during Ottawa's time. Um, and they also, you know, they traded a lot of their first round picks that they had. Um, and uh, now they're just, uh, they, they don't really have a good team now, uh, from the looks of it. But um, they, they're still like, if the season were to end today, um they would have had the second wild card spot um and a lot of it is because of elvis merzilkins who we'll talk about we count him as a prospect um here but they also um you know they're they don't have uh artemi panera and they don't have sergey Babrowski, they don't have matt duchene um and now they have to rely on their prospects but their prospects Aren't as good as they used to be. They're not bad, though. I, I shouldn't say that, but they're not great either. Um, so, in terms of their cap-friendly page, uh, they're restricted. They only have a couple, a lot of restricted free agents. They don't have a ton of UFA's, which is good considering the year that they had this off season they had last year. Uh, so the RFA's they have, I have here are. Devin Shore, who I didn't realize was an RFA. Pierre-Luc who should be getting paid pretty soon. Um, okay. Ryan McInnes, Kevin Stenlin, uh Jacob U- Lila. So I didn't even know these are actual players. Uh, <laughs> Vladislav Garik- Gavrikov, um, and Gabriel Carlson, and... Um, and then, uh, both Junis Corpusalo and Elvis Merzilkins are all RFAs. Oh, and uh, Josh Anderson as well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, um, that's a lot of RFAs that they have to deal with. Um, and they have 5 million in cap space or something like that. Oh no, they have, let me look here. They have 15 million in cap space. Okay. That's not too bad, but still.
0: Yeah. At at least they have cap space to work with.
1: Exactly. Um, so we're gonna start off with Alex Tessier. Um, I actually had high hopes for him because I thought the, uh, the Blue Jackets would be, like this guy would be the missing piece or the guy to replace Panarin. Um, obviously I didn't expect him to be as good as Panarin right away, but I thought he, he showed some potential. But uh, he got injured like halfway through the season um, and only played 36 games for them but uh, he still uh, played pretty well. Last year uh, for the Cleveland Monsters, he had seven points in seven games, Um, but he really played well in Liga, where he, for Kalpa, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Um, He had 41 points in 55 games. Um, He played, I guess he played the last two games Uh, For the Blue Jackets where he had one point in two games He also played for them in the playoffs too, which was interesting and he wasn't that bad too um, In the Blue Jackets playoffs. He had three points in two um, in eight games Um, So he could he still has some potential there Um, Another cool thing about Teshier is that he um, he's French Um, There's not a lot of French hockey players out there so um, it's pretty cool that uh, we see some another pl- like player uh, from France and that's really how you grow the sport is if you get some players from other countries um, and you know all you need is one and then eventually if Tachier is good then like pl- kids from France will like look up to him and maybe that's something that could be interesting but One thing I did notice on when I was looking at Teshier's NHL uh, play here, um, he had uh, 12 minutes of ice time, uh, which is pretty low, but he still had 13 points in 36 games. So that's still like, I mean, that's around like 40.4 points per game. So uh, percentage wise. um, So that's not bad. not great either nothing to write home about but I think he still has some potential um especially considering that Columbus really doesn't have a ton of wingers to compete with I guess you have Cam Atkinson um and Gustav Nyquist but they're both 30 years old um and so I could see him just being a uh like a a decent player for them in a couple years
0: yeah and the thing with columbus is um with the amount of injuries they've had to deal with uh, they've certainly had no problem putting him into a big offensive role if he's not in the top six at least he's in the top nine which definitely bodes well for his confidence and you know 70 points you know for a rookie that's not half bad um just taking a look at his draft year this is what's pretty strange his draft year he played 40 games with grenoble france that's where he's from he had tallied 10 goals and nine assists that year in 12 playoff games he had another five goals and five assists columbus drafted him in the second round those are the numbers that got him drafted in the second round by columbus so at, at that point you're kind of thinking wow this is a wild card this is one of those Kekalanan gambles right and sometimes he's gambled right so you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt at that point Um, He plays his first season in the Liga over in Finland in 2017-18, 13 goals and nine assists in 53 games there. Um, And he adds another three assists in seven games at the World Championships with France. So then 2018-19 comes around. He gets 14 goals and 27 assists, uh, good enough for 44 points in 55 games uh, that – put him top 25 in league scoring pretty good and then uh, he does well again for france uh notching a goal and two assists in seven games at the world championships he then makes the jump to the nhl and and like you said the short sample size is definitely assuring um his giveaway takeaway ratio is also pretty good 12 giveaways 16 takeaways so he's not in the negative there um considering also that he's only averaged 33 seconds per game on the power play and he was still able to get 13 points in in 36 games reaffirms um the reason to be excited about this guy uh 12.2 shooting percentage as a rookie as well and the second half of the year he's been on ir so if you take into account quarter three and quarter four if he's playing top nine minutes um, maybe the numbers, you would argue, could be better. Uh, it, it, it's going to be interesting going forward how they utilize him because I definitely think he has top six potential. Um, I think probably, probably at center is where he's listed right now. Um, but on the wings, I think long term is where Columbus is probably going to be scratching their heads a little bit. Um, I think, I think, um, I think it's, uh, I can't remember if it's the left side or the right side, um, where they're kind of pretty weak Felino as good as a leader that he's been, he, I don't think is at the stage where he, he's going to be able to, revert to his old offensive ways. Um, it's the left side I was talking about. Um, Josh Anderson looks like the mainstay, but they have Wenberg, um, I, I, I believe, on the left side too. But um, yeah, like I mentioned, Nick Felino isn't the offensive player he once was. So if they try him on the left side, maybe um, he gets a top six role there. Um, Definitely as a center, he won't get a top line role if Dubois is healthy, obviously. Um, But I definitely think on the wings, there's some opportunity for um, some improvement there. And maybe that's where Tessier fits in. We'll see. Um, But um, John Tortorella is going to have to make a lot of interesting decisions as these uh, prospects develop.
1: Right, for sure. Um... Okay, uh, our next guy is also, now that I'm looking here, he kind of, uh, he just passed our, um, our criteria, but we're gonna count it anyways, because he's played 56 games for the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is uh, Emil Bemstrom. I think for Columbus, it's like they, they had no choice but to play a lot of their prospects um, uh, and just see what they have with them and just put them into the fire. Um, which is an interesting move. Uh, Last year, Benstrom had 35 points in 47 games in the SHL, um, which is impressive considering that that's, again, that's a a professional hockey league uh, for him. So uh, he played pretty well. And then in the World Juniors, he had six points in five games. Um, He had 20 points in 56 games, as I just mentioned. Um, Another thing that's interesting is Even still, he had 20 points in 56 games, but he also only had 12 uh, minutes of ice time uh, for the Columbus Blue Jackets. So um, that's still impressive uh, considering that he didn't have a ton of ice time, but he still put up um, a pretty good pace or rate in terms of um, how he's doing in the NHL. So he's another guy that I could see um, being pretty good for them if he's given more ice time um in the in the system um the question is is will that happen um again we mentioned a lot of the like the wingers that they have josh anderson's another one um and Wenberg and all these guys but um i feel like tachier and benstrom will be both like big time wingers for them and if like the blue jackets don't want to fall flat on their face those guys are going to have to like um, actually pan out um, still.
0: Yeah, the good news is um, Benstrom plays on the right side. That's probably their strongest side, because not only do they have Cam Atkinson, they also have Oliver Bjorkstrand. And uh, around the time he got hurt, he was really playing efficient hockey. He was scoring goals with efficiency. Uh, During that Elvis versus Likens run where they just couldn't lose, the two important players, of course, Elvis was the most important player. uh, But the second most important player was Bjorkstrand because he was scoring timely goals and he was scoring often. So uh, the fact that uh, Benstrom has experience on the right side is pretty good. I don't know if you also looked at his numbers and realized five of his ten goals have been on the power play. He has five goals and eight points with the extra man this year. So anyone who has questions, oh, can he score on the power play? Yeah, he can. If you put him with the right guys on the power play, this guy can do some damage. Um, Kind of a small uh, character, though, five foot 181 pounds. Uh, But in the SHL, he made a really, really, really good first impression. Um, There was only one other player. Um, that had a 20-goal season in uh, the SHL, the same year that Benstrom did. I believe that was 2018-19. And uh, that guy was two, uh, actually, yeah, no, that guy was two goals back of Benstrom. So Benstrom led the league in goals his rookie year in the SHL, 35 points overall, 23 of which were goals. He also had 10 power play goals that year, and uh, he was uh, fittingly named Rookie of the Year that season. Um, so, and again, like you mentioned, SHL, you're playing amongst men. So it's it's definitely a testament to how good Benstrom is. The fact he can go in the SHL and play big minutes, score power play goals, score goals, period. And then go to Columbus, play in the league with people of all ages and do the exact same thing and continue to be a power play threat so i definitely think he's another guy where if you put him in front of the right people he's going to do well um it's just a matter of putting him alongside those great players because if you look at what he did in the first quarter he was playing with the the likes of alex Tessier, rally nash boom jenner um played a bit with sonny milano who's obviously now on the Anaheim ducks roster um you look at the guys he played with in quarter two riley nash still alex tessier still got a bit more exposure with felino and dubois in quarter three he played with the likes of gerby and dubois and then six games into quarter four before the madness happened he was playing with stenland and wenberg consistently but also a little bit with devon shore and pierre luc dubois and most recently he was slotted on the first line as a right winger so It's kind of an, it's kind of an interesting turn of events when we start things fresh and everyone is healthy. Where is Benstrom best suited? Because that's the thing with Columbus. Every single day, it seemed they were battling one injury and if they were done with that injury, they had to deal with another injury and another injury. Sometimes they had to deal with three all at once and they lost like three guys in one night or something like that. It's been that kind of year for Columbus. So when everyone is fully healthy, where does everyone slot in? And I think the right side is probably going to be jam-packed with options because of how good Atkinson has been in the past, because of how good uh, Bjorkstrand has been presently, and how good uh, Emil Benstrom can be. Um, I think he's probably going to be on line three, but if another injury happens, you never know.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the, the injuries were not kind for the Columbus Blue Jackets this year. Um, yeah, they weren't. Liam Foodie is the next guy we're going to talk about here. Um, he uh, was there. He was the 18th overall pick in 2018, um, and you know, he's kind of a bit underrated, I think. Um, This year, for the OHL, he had 68 points in 45 games. Um, And then uh, in the World Juniors, he had four points in seven games. Uh, And then the year before that, he had 68 uh, points in 62 games for the London Knights um, as well. Um, But yeah, it seems like he's, he's pretty good for them. Um, and could and it's not like the Blue Jackets. I mean, I guess they have um, Pierre-Luc Dubois for center stuff, but they're not. And I guess Alexander Wenberg's another one, but they don't really have too many centers um, in their system. And Liam Foodie seems to be the one who has the highest potential, even more so than uh, Alex Tessier and Emil Benström. Um, so I, I think of all these guys that we're talking about, well, I guess maybe instead of, except for Elvis Merzilkins, um, but Liam Foudy could be a decent guy. Just, just the thing about the Blue Jackets is, is that they, like a lot of their positions in the top lines are not like, are kind of up for grabs. Um, and other than, I guess, Cam Atkinson and Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Gustav Naquist. Um, everyone else has either like, has, ha- can't be consistent or has been injured as well. Uh, so yeah, I'd be curious to see if, um, uh, what's going to happen with Liam Foodie. but he could be an interesting guy in a couple of years. If not next yeah, year. Yeah,
0: what, what uh, the Blue Jackets are looking for, not just talent as character because yeah character and resiliency is the only reason they were this close to making the playoffs or just like within striking distance of a playoff spot. If they didn't have any character, they'd be dead in the water. They'd be buried. There would be no Elvis run, but they've just been able to get by with good team play. And I think Yermo Kekalainen drafts with having the right mindset on top of having the right skill set, having the right mindset. And when you're named captain of a historic franchise, like the London Knights, probably says a lot about how they think about you so that's definitely good on liam foodie's resume um you mentioned his numbers this year only playing in 45 games getting the same amount of points as he did last year in 62 games he could have easily had 200 shots 40 plus goals 90 to 100 points this year if he had played the full slate of games uh taking a look at his special teams numbers yeah he had five power play goals this year yeah he has nine power play goals to his credit in his career he scored 12 shorthanded goals in his career in the ohl which says a lot and he also has 17 game winners so again being able to score in all situations being able to score big goals he's been able to do that uh the other thing that um i wanted to point out is the amount of face-offs that he took um, in his rookie season in 2017-18 and 2018-19, he would average around 230 to 260 faceoffs, never 300 in any of those. And just this year he had taken 56 face-offs. Now part of the reason is because London had a lot of depth down the middle and Connor McMichael, who was a top 10 scorer in the OHL, was leading the charge there. So. What I would like to see out of Liam Foody is he goes to Cleveland, they try him out for a full season at center, see what he's got, and allow him to develop that way because uh, London has their own system. They want to build winners every year. And if it means you're a center who is better on the wing, then they play you on the wing, not at center. That's just the way it goes with London. They have their own thing. Um, But I definitely think the potential is there for him to be a decent center for them and the offense is definitely there as well um and he and he can also shoot pretty efficiently uh as a rookie 18 18 shooting 17.6 in his second year uh 18.6 when he was assistant captain with the knights before this year and then this year 16.2 so if they need a guy to score with efficiency as opposed to score at will and Liam Footy fits that build, and all the power to the Columbus Blue Jackets. They they don't need guys that can rip 300 shots a year. They need guys that can finish. They need guys that can score.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, also, like the thing you did mention that, like you want to see him just take a year in Cleveland. I wonder if they actually do that, considering how they handled Bemstrom and Teshier, because they just put them out there. Um, in the you know, like they they gave them bottom six roles, but I wonder if they're going to do the same for Liam Fowdy because maybe they're like they they're trying to win now, um, and they they feel like they they don't they don't want to develop them any further, which is kind of a mistake in my mind. But I wonder if they're just going to put him into Columbus right away just because of how many how few players they ha- actually have.
0: I guess it depends on how much of that was a product of them losing all those guys to free agency, slash everyone going on the IR at once, right? As a, and whether or not that it was that that led them to playing fifty to sixty games
1: okay, uh, for Ben fair. and Tessie yeah.
0: respectively, or if that was all part of the plan they were going to do that anyway.
1: Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think Teshier made the the roster right away, even before yeah, all these injuries. because he,
0: he played a pivotal and, role in their playoff run. I yeah. think he was more of a lockdown threat.
1: And, but like Bemstrom hasn't even played any games in Cleveland, so yeah. I don't know. It it will be interesting. Uh, so the next guy we're going to talk about, um, he was another guy who I guess he was, he skipped Cleveland the Cleveland Monsters run as well because. They kind of had no choice, Um, but um, he also, he falls under, we're going to call this the Casey Middlestad rule, where he's technically not a prospect because he's shown what he's capable of doing, but we're also going to talk about him because uh, the other prospects that we could talk about are not really newsworthy. Um, He is the fourth guy that we're going to talk about, though, but still, we have another one still, but... um, but we're gonna talk about Elvis Merzulkins. Um He's a Latvian goaltender. Uh, he's probably the the goaltender of the future for Columbus. Um, I remember he didn't start out that well uh, to start the season. Like he just kept on giving up, and then around like December, November, he actually like went on this run and was big reason why the the Blue Jackets are in the um, are would be in the playoffs still um and then he right, got injured because
0: when he when he entered the pictures when corpus Allo got hurt and right. corpus Allo was the reason why they were even in the conversation right. before that
1: um and then he um and then uh so then he gets into this big run in 33 games he has a 2.35 GAA and a nine 9-2, two a nine two three save percentage um he had five shutouts there, which is crazy. Um, and yeah, he's he's gonna be pretty good. Uh, he is also 25 years old, so that's not too bad ter- in terms of age as well. Um, and he was a late, oh he was a third round pick in 2014. Um, and the years before that, just so we have it out there, uh, nine twenty-one save percentage, a two point four four GAA in uh forty-three games for the Swiss League, HC Lugano. Um, pretty similar stuff for the past couple of years for HC Lugano. Um, yeah, and Latvia. He play. He's Latvian, um. So he didn't really get a chance to play for the World Juniors. I don't believe. Oh, he did. Uh, in the World Juniors back in twenty twelve. Uh, He had a, he played uh, three games, 5.85 GAA and a C percentage of 860. Um, So (laughs) that's not great. Um, The thing with Elvis though, and I guess you can say this for most goalies is, yeah, he started out great um, and he had a hot run. um, But like, you know, we've seen it like happen with Carter Hart and Jordan Bennington. Uh, They've managed to be good right away but like you also like I remember especially for this Bruins fan you know there's Andrew Raycroft and uh um who wasn't good right right after there's also like Steve Mason Blue Jacket (laughs) um another Blue Jackets you know who who was good his rookie year and then fell off the face of the earth the next couple years so I wonder if like either a this injury and this time off um, will have an effect on him because I know that had a similar effect to Andrew Raycroft where he he had this hot season, rookie season and then the lockout season happened where he couldn't he didn't play at all for the rest of, like for an entire year. Um, so I do wonder what's going to happen to Elvis um, in particular. I guess you could say the same for all these guys but Um, like, especially these young guys who had something going to start, but then um, once they start playing again, what's going to happen? But other than that, like, yeah, it it does seem like he's the goaltender of the future. Um, I know the Blue Jackets do have Daniil Tarasov um, and Matisse Kilvandkins. That's the thing with Columbus Blue Jackets goalies is they have to have like hard to pronounce last names. Um, If this is a
0: game of Scrabble, no one can test them.
1: But uh, so those guys are in the system and they could be, you know, if Elvis doesn't work out, end up working out, they have those guys. um, In particular, Venny Vela Hainan is another one, too. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, Elvis Merzilkins uh, could be, uh, seems to be the one that has shown the most promise, at least.
0: Yeah, and they call him by Elvis, too, so it's easy yeah. to remember. And uh, speaking of which, you mentioned he was 25. Well, at the time this podcast goes out April 13th, he'll be 26, so happy birthday, Elvis. Um, so so uh, he's actually, I guess, 26 now, technically, when you hear this. Um, nevertheless, been the same dominant and goaltender um, overseas. Before coming to the NHL, the, the pedigree um, made Columbus fans excited. On the one hand, they were losing Bobrovsky. But on the other hand, if this guy lived up to the billing, he was going to be something good. If you take a look at 2015-16, and you go all the way to 2017-18 a span of three seasons, in his time with HC Logano in Switzerland, Merce Likens appeared in 40-plus games for three straight years, recorded a regular season state percentage of 915 or better in each of those years, went deep in the playoffs each of those years where in each playoff run he appeared in at least 10 games at a same percentage of nine thirty or better and his ga didn't go over four uh, didn't go over 2.40 that's how dominant elvis was and if you want to go even deeper from 2016 to 2019 a span of four world championships here are his stats by year 2016, five games played for Latvia, 2.91 GAA, 9.12 save percentage. 2017, six games played, 1.98 GAA, 9.37 save percentage. 2018, six games played, 1.5 GAA, 9.40 save percentage. Last year, 2019, five games played, 2.78 GAA, 9.14 save percentage. And that is... best on best tournament that he's playing in. this isn't a lower division he's playing best on best here so the hype about this kid was pretty high going into columbus and you had a feeling that he was going to do something good in the first eight games it didn't show but then you look at the next 14 games that followed where he won 12 of those games he was absolutely lights out the part that i'm concerned about Moving forward for Elvis Merzlikins is can he be consistently good? And I bring back those uh, hot and cold streaks from this year to prove it. So in his first eight games, he goes 0-4 and 4, GAA over 3.4, save percentage below 890, no shutouts. Then he gets hot after Corpusalo gets hurt, goes 12-2 and 0 in 14 games. Stops 424 or 445 shots. His GAA is slightly above 1.5, 953 save percentage. All five of his shutouts this year came during that stretch of 14 starts. The next nine games, he goes 1 3 and 4. GAA is 2.73, save percentage 900 on the nose. Yeah. So it's one thing for Elvis to be good in spurts. But in order for Elvis to be the next best thing in Columbus, for Elvis to be one of the league's best goalies, he has got to be good night in and night out. And if he has a bad start, he shakes it off and he gets back on his horse and he just keeps on going. So that's going to be the next big test for him.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I do know that he's going to be an RFA this offseason, so that should be interesting to see what he gets, uh, given what what happens. Um,
0: And if he he gets this far, add him to the list of 2021 UFA goalies.
1: Well, maybe, but...
0: Maybe, if he gets that
1: far. If he gets, like, a one-year deal, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, so the last guy we're going to talk about is Kirill Marchinkov. Marchinko, sorry. Another hard-to-pronounce last name here. Um, The thing with him... Okay, so he's a KHL player. But he plays for Scott St. Petersburg, which is a well-known KHL team. Um, This year, he had 16 points in 31 games. um, And, uh, yeah, he seems to be, like, going up in the ranks there um, for that. That was his first year in the KHL. Um, And then in the World Juniors, he had six points in seven games um, for Russia. Um, And, yeah, it seems like he could be a steal for them because they got him – in the second round uh, 49th overall i um, in 20 uh in 2018 uh the thing that's interesting about Kirill Mashenko and a big and a big reason why he was you know a second round pick was that uh Scott Saint, he signed a contract with Scott Saint Petersburg um and he's going to stay there for at least another year um so he, we won't get to see him in the league at least until 2021 2022 but you know maybe he'll go to the um he'll go to the the ahl so that he can get used to the different type of rink or uh, ice that uh, a lot of khl players get used to and. I feel like we ha- we haven't really talked about the KHL in general um, in these episodes. I think this is our first KHL prospect we're talking about, um, but like I feel like KHL guys are so hit or miss. Um, they could be someone like, um, you know, Artemi Panarin or Kucherov, um, who did pretty well in the KHL and then it transitioned over to the NHL right away too. Um, or it could be someone like uh you know nichushkin or uh gusev who took some time to get used to in and they get into the nhl or it could be someone like shipachev or um uh there's another one i'm because they're like they're forgettable like i guess uh yakupov or someone who uh who just are big time bust and stuff like that and a never seemed to transition well to the NHL, Um, so it's hard to say exactly how well he will transition to the KHL, but um, he is someone to keep an eye on for sure in the future, especially when we've mentioned before that in terms of like the wingers, it seems to be up for grabs for the Blue Jackets.
0: Yeah, and um, in four postseason games, uh, Marchenko had three goals and two assists, so yep. maybe, maybe the sign of a breakout season next year, we'll see. Um, and he also played in the 2019 World Juniors, where he got a goal in seven games, followed that up with two goals and four assists in seven games this year, um, so I think with time he could be a valuable asset to Columbus, but it's definitely a three to five-year project, probably five-year project, um, where you have to get him acquainted to the North American style of game, and you're just constantly monitoring his development. Um, kind of like a Pod Coleson uh, getting drafted by Vancouver in the top 10, it's going to be a couple of years to re- like really see if this guy's uh, a boom or bust type of pick. Um, But the scouting report says he's got a nice range and puck control, Um, the wrist shot has been pretty accurate for him, he can turn to his right side quickly, which is his forehand, and that's where our shooters do most of their damage. And on the left side, we mentioned Columbus is a bit weak there, so within three to five years, Marchenko could find himself into a top six role if he plays his cards right, who knows? Um, it's definitely a guy that I don't look and say, oh yeah, in a year or two, he's going to be ready. It's going to take a lot more than a year or two for that to happen.
1: Right. For sure. Um, all right. That about does it. And surprise, surprise. We kept it under two hours. So, yay, mission accomplished. I know. Uh, you can check (laughs) us at, uh, lace up Twitter, uh, lace up Twitter, lace up, um, podcast on Twitter. Our Facebook is lace them up. Um, our, you know you can listen to us on soundcloud itunes or spotify or wherever you get your podcast uh yeah that about does it for us um happy easter everyone
0: i'm steve alzer we'll talk again in episode oh. 215 I'm brett duboff. Podcast.
1: and i'm brett duboff i forgot to say my name there <laughs>